0: Welcome to the Give to Profit podcast, the podcast that inspires business owners, entrepreneurs and leaders to turn their business into a profitable force for good. During our weekly episodes, you'll hear business leaders and entrepreneurs share how they put social impact at the heart of their business and the many benefits that come from doing this. You can find full show notes for today's show and additional resources at givetoprofit.com and of course you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher where it would also be great if you could leave us a rating and review. For every review this month we'll be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia and so now here's your host business mentor speaker and author Alison McKenzie. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Gift to Profit podcast show. This is your host, Alison McKenzie. I'm delighted to be with you again today. So thanks for tuning in. Today, I'm interviewing someone who I approached after I heard her fantastic TED talk and reached out because I felt that her message was something I resonated with. And I really wanted to get out and share it with more people. So today I'm going to be interviewing Rachel Hutchison from BlackBod on the topic of the title actually of the recent TED Talk, which is The Era of Corporate Social Responsibility is Ending. So before I introduce you to Rachel, let me just tell you a little bit about her for those of you who don't know of her yet. Rachel is VP of Corporate Citizenship and Philanthropy at Blackbaud responsible for global corporate social responsibility, leading the company's 3,300 associates in efforts to serve and give professionally and personally. She's committed to the core philosophy that good is for everyone, championing positive change and inspiring individuals to integrate service into their development. Rachel brings experience in marketing, brand communications, corporate culture, strategic relationships into her role. And she built Blackboard's CSR programme from the ground up, leveraging her deep experience working at the intersection of business and nonprofits. So welcome, Rachel. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you
1: so much, Alison. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Great. So I always like to start the conversations off by just finding out a little bit more about my guests. And so I wonder if you could share a bit about your journey as to how you've become the person that you are today.
1: What a wonderful question. So I can tell you that I didn't know when I was going to college and getting out of college that, I was going to end up in the field of corporate social responsibility, or what I really talk about now is social good. You know, the world was a little bit different then. I talk about, I don't know if all your viewers will be familiar with the 1980s movie called Wall Street, where there was this mm-hmm. character named Gordon Gecko who, who talked about how greed was good. And in the 1980s, there was this view of business as the place that he wanted to make money. And I didn't think I would end up in business because that wasn't me, let alone in corporate social responsibility or business doing good. And the world has shifted a lot since then. And a lot of businesses have focused on all the good things that they can do in the process of delivering profit and delivering great products and services. So, you know, I didn't know that was my future. I studied English literature. I went to graduate school to study journalism. And I ended up at a very small technology company called Blackboard, which I've been at for 26 years. And I just started working within the charitable sector and the customer base that we served and really fell in love with it. So I did a lot of things over time at Blackboard as we grew that really were probably in what you might call the global marketing or corporate marketing area, things having to do with PR, events, brand, et cetera, at a time when marketing wasn't really, I would consider, a really big function yet. And eventually I said, you know what, I figured out what I want to do. I want to take on all that philanthropic work that our founder, started. And he had moved on and we had a new CEO. And I said, you know, we have a lot of great traditions here. I want to make sure that we keep those philanthropic traditions and grow them for the future. So I did that. And over time, my work with the sector and my relationships in the charitable sector and my work in philanthropy and service and volunteerism and giving with our employees really merged into this broader role of corporate social responsibility. So it's been a journey. But I really do rely a lot on the training I had in college around writing and thinking and absolutely the messaging and writing and communications training I got in graduate school because a lot of this work is about understanding your brand, messaging it the right way and connecting with people.
0: And isn't it funny how we never know where we're going to end up in the journey? And I suppose that's something that we become more wise to the older we are and the more experiences we have as well. And I just yeah,
1: look that. back and it makes sense, you know, yeah. but looking forward, <laughs> it didn't make sense at all.
0: Yeah, totally. I totally get you. And I just love how you said that you actually wanted to take forward the philanthropic work of the founder of the company and keep that going, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful, because what a legacy. And I wonder, actually, if it would be worth just explaining what BlackBaud does, because I think even when I look at what the business does, it's quite phenomenal in terms of the impact you've actually had as a business.
1: Sure. So BlackBaud is a shared value company, which for those of you viewers that don't understand what that term is, it basically means that you have societal benefit and financial benefit benefit kind of merged at the very heart of your company. You're looking to not just make money and value for your shareholders, you're really trying to provide some kind of societal benefit. And our company was founded originally to do that by providing technology to charitable organizations, to charities, nonprofits, whatever term you'd like to use. Today we are, Blackwood is the world's leading provider of cloud-based technology for what we call social good organizations. And the reason we've broadened our language is that, for example, in the UK, it is not just the charities, it's also universities. It's different kinds of groups that are not necessarily classified as a charity. In the US, it's museums, it's social services, it's higher education institutions, it's hospitals, it's all different kinds of organizations. Mainly, at their heart, they're going to have some kind of fundraising need. And we do a lot of work in that area around technology, data services, and expertise. But we also have other kinds of solutions that go along with um, yeah. So we're a tech company that focuses a lot on data and we exclusively work in the world of social good.
0: Yeah. And I'm really glad that you explained that definition of the type of organizations because I mean that's one of the reasons why I work with organizations and I talk about supporting causes. It's any whether or not it's a charity a social enterprise or actually somebody living down the road that needs support. It's all about social good being that more much broader definition. So
1: Yeah. And often I actually say we power the business of philanthropy. We talk about powering an ecosystem of good. And we do that working with everyone from individuals to charities or nonprofits to grant making entities or foundations, corporate, family, community or private foundations and actual companies so companies doing, CSR engaging their employees. So it really is the whole spectrum of how a person or an organization, which doesn't necessarily mean it's for-profit or charitable, engages in philanthropy. Yeah.
0: And so let's move on to the topic then of this interview, the main topic of this interview and the era of corporate social responsibility ending. Why do you think that is true?
1: Well, I have to make a confession that when you do a TEDx (laughs) talk, I did work on launching TEDx in my home community. You're supposed to be a little bit provocative. So of course, I didn't mean that it was actually going away. What I mean is that it's fundamentally changing and that that's a good thing. And what I meant by that is as someone who was growing and building a philanthropy program within a company that then more broadly became a corporate social responsibility program, I was at a small that is now grown into a mid-sized company. I wasn't at a Fortune 500 company. I wasn't at a really big guy. And looking out to the world at all of the resources that were available, they were always about the really big organizations. And to me, that was very limiting. And I came to learn that although CSR has been around for a long time, it really has been the purview of these really big entities. And I think that that's wrong. I think it leaves a lot of organizations without a seat at the table. I don't know the UK data, but I can tell you that 72% of all people who work for business in America work for small to mid-sized business. So if they don't have a way to learn and engage in social good, then you're just leaving a lot of people out of the mix. So there's that reason. And then I think there's also the fact that focusing on corporate seems limiting because it really perpetuates this idea of companies as these kind of faceless monoliths instead of being collaborative organizations that pull a lot of people together. So what I talked about in the talk is that really, I think what we're seeing with smart organizations who are understanding their millennial employees and understanding the shifts happening in the world, a shift from a focus on corporate social responsibility to what I call human social responsibility, really thinking about the needs of the individual person and people who make up whatever organization it is.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about human social responsibility because you maybe just elaborate on that a bit more in terms of what that involves and what's different about that compared to corporate social responsibility?
1: Well, so human social responsibility, as I said, is really about understanding that people make up the heart of every organization. We're the ones who kind of get everything done. We bring the oxygen and the wits to what we do. And we don't just leave ourselves in the car, you know, all the things that we care about in the car when we get to work and walk into the lobby and say, okay, I'm here, I'm not going to think about those things anymore. That's just not the way it works anymore. Instead, what I say is we bring our whole selves to work. So we step out of the car and we come into the building and we bring our kind of own human contracts that we've signed with the world. Individual people today are global citizens and they're connected by technology and have a desire to fit in the world and be meaningful. And they don't just say, well, now I'm putting my hat on as employee. I'm going to forget all of that. And I can tell you, 25 years ago, you kind of did push a lot of that away. So you have a workforce that's coming in and is really bringing themselves, their interest in causes, their interest in being change agents to the job. And they're choosing to work at companies and organizations that recognize that they care and they care about the world. So I know at Blackboard, we do a survey every year and and ask our employees what matters to them. And 86% of them said it mattered to them. When they joined the company that we actually worked with social good organizations, they made this intentional choice to work for us instead of being a programmer or a salesperson or a marketing expert or in finance for many, many other companies. So when they walk in the door, they expect us to remember that and to engage them in ways that are going to fulfill them both as professionals, but also as people. And I think, you know, kind of starting with the post 9-11 phase, but also just as the millennial generation continues to become more dominant, more than 50% of BlackBuds employees are millennials already. It is something that is an imperative in recruiting and retaining people. You know, if you want good talent, you can't just say, well, this is the corporate way, like it or leave it, because talent, good talent is hard to find. So that's a really key part of it. And I talk about people signing their own human contracts with the world and wanting their companies or the organizations they work for to recognize that this is kind of interwoven in who they are and acknowledging that in some way. So practically, that means not changing what your company believes in, but allowing for kind of co-creation, allowing for the people who work in your organization to be these vested parties who get to feed into making decisions and who you listen to when you're going to launch a portfolio of programs. It's not just top-down. So that's a little bit about what I mean about human social responsibility.
0: I love that in terms of bringing our, the whole of ourselves to work if, when we're employed in that setting, which is similar, but just a different setting to what I talk about for give to profit and businesses. That as business owners, we can't leave that part of us who wants to be kind and have a positive social impact outside the business or it's hard. There's a conflict that happens. And I guess yeah. it's wonderful to hear that what you're talking about is that bringing that into the larger organisations. I've mean, a, a lot of my experience is working with small to medium sized businesses. And do you think, I mean, is this still something that's very new, do you think, to larger organisations, this concept?
1: Well, you know, corporate social responsibility is pretty well known in the big company world. But, and we're midsize. So we're actually a little smaller than many of the companies that are engaged as much as we are. And we've had to work hard to tell our story to have people recognize that although you are smaller, we're about an $800 million company, $4 billion market cap. This is US dollars. We're traded on the NASDAQ. But that's a midsize company. It's nothing compared to a UPS, Starbucks, huge companies. Boeing, et cetera, so there are these different strata, so I think the bigger companies have been involved in CSR, but even if they had CSR, they weren't working in a world that I think fundamentally embraced this idea of social good that is newer, so you know you have philanthropy, which is a very traditional it's the giving of money, time, talent resources, et etc. You have CSR, and we know what that is, but social good really is comes from this idea that I talk about that you know, good is for everyone. It's for my 17-year-old son and my 82-year-old father. It is for cities and governments and charities and small businesses and big businesses. It's not just that you have to fit into a certain size category to do good things. And people are making very conscious decisions in their lives that they want to honor their belief systems, their own internal belief systems, and how they want to do good in the world through their professions, how they make money, their educations, to teenage boys who are one is in college and one's about to go to college. And they know that they have a lot of different paths today for how they might seek doing good in the world. And back in that kind of Gordon Gecko Greed is Good era that I talked about of the 1980s, it wasn't like that. You graduated and went to work for a business if you were going to make money and be successful. And you went and got a master's in public administration or worked for a charity if you want to do good in the world. And now you really can see those two blending, not in every business, but in many businesses, small businesses, small entrepreneurial firms are very good examples of this. And big businesses, and a lot of it is driven by employees caring about it and consumers caring about it, consumers of the products and services that companies actually offer. And technology has a heck of a lot to do with this because we all as consumers and employees have a voice that can be heard at a volume that wasn't possible 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. You just pipped me at the next question, which as you were speaking there, I was just thinking, yeah, I'd love to know what you think's driving this. And yes, um, yeah, that it's
1: generational change. Yeah. Technology has a lot to do with it. I mean, the whole, if I could point to one thing that is the driver in as an empowering agent of someone bringing his or her whole self to work, it's the cell phone. It's the smartphone. You don't get out of the car and leave her behind and walk in. You are carrying with you an iPhone or an iPad or some other kind of smart device. And, People are emailing you and texting you and you're seeing tweets and you have to understand as a professional person, how to engage in social media as a person, but also as professionally and how not to have the worlds collide. And we, you know, we multitask and it's just a different way of behavior. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just different. And we're on this very on-demand schedule where people feel they can reach anybody all the time and that feeds into it. So it creates a different environment.
0: Yeah, it is very, it's incredible, isn't it? How quickly that has all changed um, so quickly. And I'm glad you mentioned actually earlier the survey that you did, because I was flicking through Blackboard's website a couple of days ago. And I, one of the graphics that came up, because I, I mean, actually as a company, and anybody listening to this, go and check the website out seriously. It's brilliant for even just looking at the different activities that you do as a business. And one of the graphics that just really hit me that I thought was really good was the one around the, the volunteering and such a high percent, the headline is Blackbaud Cares, and such a high percentage of, of your workers who are, and are actually actively volunteering on a regular basis. Is that something, was that sort of high level of activism, almost a strategic decision in terms of how you recruit? Or was it something that evolved because of the work you were doing? You were then a- attracting people that were just that way anyway. I
1: think that's a really good question. And I think it's actually a result of both. We were founded actually by a man from England, Tony Barker, who who came to the U.S. and answered a classified ad in the New York Times and wrote the first product that we ever sold for a customer in New York City. And he was very naturally philanthropic. I'm not sure that he even used that term originally, but he was very, very much about helping nonprofits be successful through our technology, but also through his own generosity. And he continues to do that. He retired a number of years ago, but he continues to do that in our community and really set a great example. But it really did a, it evolved. We always worked with nonprofits. We're, we were founded in 1980, so we're 37 years old. And we've always worked first with nonprofits and now with that broader group of of people in the social good world that I described. And that is something that does attract a certain kind of applicant. You say, oh, yeah, that's interesting to me. I think I want to go look at that. But it also became something that when we recognized how unique that was, we did cultivate. And it's a great way to, number one, just have a really great culture and workplace. And number two, to retain really good people. Having a workplace where it's not just the work, even though the work is working with social good organizations, is important. And you learn a lot through service. So we have all sorts of different kinds of ways people can serve. Tomorrow is actually the Trident United Way Day of Caring here in Charleston, South Carolina, which is our, where our corporate headquarters is. So we have 1,400 of our 3,300 employees in Charleston, and I think about 500 of them are going to be out serving tomorrow among thousands of other community members doing all sorts of different projects. And nonprofits. I'm actually going to a school that's in a disadvantaged area of town and participating in a set of mock job interviews and college interviews with these high school students. We do things like that. We also do things that are more like going and building a house for Habitat for Humanity, all sorts of different kinds of things. So we have big service days that allow people to stick their toe in the water and go out and just do something. And then we have just this culture that encourages teams to do work or individuals to do work. And we provide support and incentive, abilities to get donations for nonprofits where you volunteer. We have a matching gift scheme, those kinds of things to encourage it. And then one of the most important things is that our CEO is phenomenally supportive of our role as being a good corporate citizen. So You know, we talk about it at company meetings. We celebrate what we do as a company. And people really are very proud that they're a part of this. And part of that work is very specifically working with the top management team across the company, kind of the top 120 leaders to make sure that they're connected to meaningful service opportunities up to and including serving on board. And that's important because The more they're out there serving on boards and understanding the charitable sector, the more they understand our customers and the more they develop different aspects of their own leadership skills while setting an example for the people who work with them or work for them. So it's a really positive cycle that feeds itself. So it seems really natural that we have this now, but it really was both and did take some care and feeding in the process.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you've had quite a big part to play with that. And you know, it's fascinating, because as I sit and listen to you, I'm sitting thinking, my days of being employed by somebody else are over. But I'm sitting here actually thinking, I wish there'd been companies like Blackbod around when I was younger in terms of be the only one that felt this way in corporate land where I just felt, I mean, bizarrely, my background, you hear you talk about uh, Wall Street, I was a stockbroker, an investment manager, but I never felt, I never felt I fitted. There was a complete values misalignment and it was constant conflict inside. And and like many others got to the point where I go, I cannot bear to be working in this environment anymore. And to hear you talk about um a business which yes it's not one of the biggest but it's still a lot you know it's still a reasonably large business where it honestly sounds like and to me I feel so heartened that you've embedded uh, the values and people actually it, it sounds like across the whole of your business at all different levels you've got very similar values which I had never experienced in a much larger organization and I think one of the reasons I love working with small companies is because to some respect, the fact when working with founders and small business, my experience has been there's more agility for an influence over a smaller culture than the larger one. So really heartening to hear what you're saying. Yeah, you
1: do have to manage it. And it is an issue of culture. It's employee engagement. Mm -hmm. It's not just you give back and everybody believes in it. You do have to cultivate it. But there are certain kinds of companies, technology companies, companies in marketing areas that some kinds of firms do tend toward this a little more than others. And not every company out there embraces service and philanthropy the way we do, but you do see it more as an overall trend. And if you follow, so in the United States, I follow Alan Murray, um, who does a CEO alert every day um, from Fortune Magazine. And he talks a lot along with um, Michael Porter from Harvard Business School about shared value and about the importance of how it's key to the future of capitalism, that if you are investing in social good in your company, you're actually making money, doing well, employing people, providing benefits and providing a societal benefit. And your company may actually do better in the long run. So it's not this, if you focus on social good, you're going to basically give up all of your opportunities to be successful. That's actually the opposite of what they're arguing. Yeah. So there is a shift, but You know, some companies do CSR, get involved, do good initiatives in order to address the ills of the past. They've had a problem and they need Mm -hmm. to fix it. And I understand that and that's not bad, but more and more there are companies that are coming up and starting that are just have this right at their heart. And a lot of that, I think, goes along with the trend of being local, supporting local businesses and getting back farm to table food and understanding where your products and your food come from. And we got away from that in a period back in the 80s and earlier where big always meant better. And now we're back to the, you know, well, maybe that's not always the case.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how life goes like that, isn't it? It's a cycle of almost going back to, in some aspects, what was more common at times when you know, my grandparents were alive. Where mm-hmm. you did look out for each other, and you did do that. Everything was local because we didn't have this the technology or globalism that we have now. I think one of the things that recognises a, a change, and it is—it's brilliant to see. There's a lot more research coming out that does indicate that focusing on social impact is actually going to really he- can help a lot of businesses when it's managed well, drive profits. Assuming, of course, they've got good—they've got good product service offering, market demand, etc. But one of the things was really good to hear about for Blackboard was that you've been named as one of the rising stars of the Fortune Change the World list, which is fantastic. because yeah. I didn't actually even realize that they'd started to do that with slightly smaller companies because I knew they would focused in on, on the much larger businesses. That was great news to realize.
1: Yeah, and I, I believe it's the first time they've done that. So the list, mm. this is the third time year the list has come out and that list actually came out of a collaboration, Michael Porter at Harvard Business School who wrote along with Kramer from FSG the seminal article in the Harvard Business Review about shared value, and they wrote that about seven years ago, actually put language around this mixture of financial and societal benefit. And they collaborated with Alan Murray and said, you really should be doing, since you do a lot of list issues, you should be doing a list of companies that change the world. And so Fortune started to do that. And You know, we have been very excited about the list because it's such a a wonderful recognition, but we actually were not big enough initially really to be considered because there's a billion dollar or $1 billion mark that you have to be passed in order to apply. And so, um, you know, we're in a lot of the um, organizations, communities and um, conferences and discussions with a lot of these other companies, but we just, we couldn't be a part of that. And this year, they, are, I did we didn't know they were going to do that, but they said, wait a minute, we're going to include six rising stars that you should pay attention to. And they might not be as big as these other ones, but you should still know about them. And it was such a deep honor to have that, that acknowledgement that, you know, we're about social good through and through and everything that we do. Um, And we want to be around other companies and learn from them about how to do even more.
0: Yeah. And for anybody who's not, I just want to just sort of reinforce a couple of things you've shared there. You know, the shared values paper is a fantastic resource. Um, and actually, I might look out the, the link for it and put it on the show notes because like, that is a really good one for people to check out. But actually, also, I think what really encouraged me about the Fortune Change the World list, it's the way it's actually compiled. It's so robust and the way that they do the analysis of these company, of companies. So well done to you guys. You know. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Definitely. So what do you see might happen in the future in terms of trends around social good and businesses embracing this?
1: Well, we are in a world that is both global and hyper-local. And that's definitely something that's not going to change. And and that has a lot to do with technology. And so I think we're going to continue to see that. And we're going to continue to see organizations overall being interested in impact. So whether you call it outcomes or impact, They are looking at how the results of the work that they do. How are they actually going to achieve something good? And so I think we're going to continue to see more organizations understand this idea of human social responsibility that it is for organizations of all sizes, and it is important to focus on the people in your organization and not just what you think your corporate brand stands for. So it's going to be a shift over time. And what I like about it is that some of the smaller organizations actually can teach some of the big organizations a lot. So it's not just something that is about the big guys doing it. It's really about all of us because, you know, the way I look at it is we really need everybody at the table, everybody doing good in the world to address the issues that we have.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. I was having a, a conversation with a couple of people today about, I think we're slightly different in the UK to the US, but we have here, we have things like social enterprises. And yes, we've got things like B Corps, but a lot of the the mindset is still that the businesses that do good are people who are, well, are, are either social enterprises, B Corps, or you set up a charity if you really want to do good. And there's still quite a, a, a gray sea in the middle. Really, between that mm-hmm. and, um, and and business, and the way we—I don't know what. In fact, I'd love to know your opinion on this, actually, because in the UK, so much of the way that we're almost separating that out, you know, as a country, is the framework by which people get funding. If you want to do good and get funding, you have to go down this route, <laughs> um, rather yeah. than actually embracing the the, the social on the real entrepreneur social entrepreneurs who want to be more entrepreneurial in their approach, rather than being dependent.
1: Yeah, there are some structural challenges. Many funders, foundations can't give money to for-profit entities. So, you know, if you think you're going to be getting money from that funder, you're going to set something up that's more non-profit. But I do see in the U.S. there are a lot of social innovation groups that are really encouraging whatever the business is, whatever financial model it has, putting social good at its heart. And we really do need to understand more and more that a charitable status, a non-profit status is a tax status. And it does help define you as an organization, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be successful and profitable. And you have to choose the framework that is going to work for your organization. Or there's, they're blended and they're business schools and design schools, Stanford's design school, and lots of entrepreneurial work where, you know, you could have five people in the room, you know, launching quote unquote businesses and they're all being done in very different structural ways.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that excites me is to see how that unfolds. I was speaking to an incredible charity that's based out in Australia and Bali, actually. And because of the background of one of the people leading it, they were talking about having you know, a charity with shareholders. Now they're, they're using that analogy, but you get a certificate. They're just calling it Wise Owl certificates instead of share certificates, you know, and the way they're just being creative in their business model. So it's an exciting time. So if you were to just share you've shared so much with us here today. If there was one more piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be?
1: I do think in terms of, of people's careers, you do have to go with your heart and don't. I think it shows when people do things that they believe in and they're passionate about. And so I think today is a time when you can be a little more open about the channels or paths you might take. I'd also love it for people to go and watch the FedEx talk. It's on YouTube. You just type in youtube and then my name rachel hutchison and and you'll find it and leave a comment and tell me what you think and really just come on board and be a part of this movement because it really is about all of us
0: yeah and i will certainly share a link you know to your talk there as well and if people do want to get hold of you what's the best way like on social media and things
1: yeah i am very active on social media my twitter handle is at rachel hutchison although i had to squish my last name because it's a little long (laughs) On LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn, and so both and on Twitter. Well, Twitter, I mentioned. So both of those channels are I'm out there a lot. It's a great way to connect.
0: Fantastic. Well, listen, Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. i thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I I've just got screeds of things written down here, and it's just it really. I'm going to come back to be feeling so heartened by what you're doing, what Blackboard's doing, and thank you for being part of part of the conversation and being leaders in this conversation about how more and more of us no matter what type of business or organization we are in or leading that we can have social impact through that so thank you very much
1: you are very welcome
0: and thanks to you too for tuning into the episode remember to check out give profit.com or allison.com for the full show notes where i will make sure you have all the details so you can check out rachel's ted talk and also um, connect with her there too and please do get in touch if there is anything that we can do to support you until next time remember business is a great opportunity to be kind thanks for listening to the Gift to Profit podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes so you hear about our next episodes. It would be great if you left a rating and review of the show there too. For every review this month Alison will be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. You can connect and chat with Alison on Twitter using the handle at Alison Mac and through the Give to Profit Facebook fan page. And if you don't already have a copy of Alison's best selling book, Give to Profit How to Grow Your Business by Supporting Charities and Social Causes, you can get this on Amazon around the world.